This might be a little raw and a major departure from my previous episodes. You've probably noticed I've been silent for a while. This whole virus thing has made me rethink a lot of things. And I promise not to say that I've decided to pivot. I don't know about you, but there are certain buzzwords everyone jumps on that begin to get irritating after a while. And for me, that's one of them. But I am taking a step back. You'll notice a music change for this episode. You'll also notice there are no commercials. It just doesn't feel right. And while I'm still all about making connections, I think there's a far more important connection that I need to make. A heart-to-heart connection with you and hopefully strengthening your connection with God. Remember, in episode zero, I confess that I'm a Christian and I would talk about God from time to time. And today's episode is going to be one of those times. So grab a cup of coffee and let's chat. Welcome to episode 13 of the Making Connections podcast. In the business world, there's a lot of talk about lost opportunity cost. People are encouraged to delegate or hire out things that aren't essential for you to do personally, especially when it comes to manual labor. And while I understand the thought process, I admit I'm a holdout when it comes right down to it. I enjoy doing yard work and admittedly spend far too many hours doing it. But tonight was an excellent example of why I do what I do. Usually, I'll listen to praise and worship music and sing while I work, or I'll listen to an audiobook, or a speaker, or a podcast. Tonight, it was just me and Pearl, my black lab, and she didn't even bring a ball out, so I wasn't distracted by playing fetch. It seems like every year, the land below my driveway gets away from me. I never seem to have all of my tools working, or I just don't have the time, or the weather doesn't cooperate and I can't get out to mow because of the rain. And suddenly, I have waist-high weeds. Every year, I say I'm going to stay on top of it and never quite manage to do so. And of course, you can't mow waist-high weeds with a push mower. So, out I go with my blade. I jokingly call it part of my workout plan. And this week, I'm feeling that pleasant soreness that comes from using muscles that haven't been used in quite a while. I work through things while I'm out there working up a sweat, and tonight seemed especially cathartic for me. I think I got more value from my two hours of yard work than I would have gotten from a month of therapy. I think I started by thinking about work and how many hours I work every day, often on the weekends, and how it makes it difficult to get other things done. And I'm sure my thoughts probably went from there to thinking the three young men living under my roof could and should be helping with yard work. Then, of course, my thoughts meandered to how much I would rather work outside than in the house, and maybe I should ask them to do the cleaning and wash the dishes instead, and I would gladly spend time outside in the fresh air whacking weeds. It's hard physical work, but it's satisfying, and it gives me the opportunity to think. Then my thoughts turned to Mama. Mama was the rock of the family, hardworking, God-fearing, raised us in church, showed us love and sacrifice and kindness, 
Ours was a house on the block that all the other kids came to play at. She even created a Mickey Mouse club in our garage. We'd go camping together, go on Pathfinder trips, which was our church's equivalent of the Scouts. She was our school bus driver and managed the money for Daddy's painting business. She was patient, kind, and always put her family first. After my son was born in 1992, we moved back home with Mama. Daddy had died of cancer three years before, and Mama made me an offer I couldn't refuse. She offered to let me stay home with Nico, and when I was ready to go back to work, she would retire and be my babysitter. How could I turn down an offer like that? So, I moved back into the house I was raised in. We moved into that house when I was one year old. I started to notice that things weren't quite right. Mama was getting very forgetful. And honestly, she was more worried about it than I was. I was convinced she was just so preoccupied that she wasn't remembering where she put her car keys or her purse. I mean, how many of us misplace things on a fairly regular basis? But then one day, she was very late getting home from picking Tina up from workshop. I asked her where she had been, and she said she got lost. Well, I was really confused. I mean, how could she have gotten lost in a neighborhood she had driven in for decades? I mentioned it to my older sister and brother, but they seemed to think I was overreacting and everything was fine, so I convinced myself they were right. Then we got a letter about a warrant. Apparently, Mama had run through a stop sign and was issued a ticket that she never paid. She didn't seem to know how to take care of the ticket, so I paid the ticket for her. Then we started getting calls from creditors and shut-off notices from utilities. Our arrangement had always been that I would buy the groceries and she would pay the utilities, except she wasn't paying them anymore. She had run up over $30,000 of credit card debt and had overdrawn her bank account. I went with her to the bank, paid the fees, and convinced them to give her another chance. They agreed, but said she couldn't write any checks on hers or Tina's account for 10 days while they sorted everything out. The next day, she wrote a check on Tina's account. The bank promptly closed both accounts, and it was obvious that Mama could no longer take care of her own finances. I contacted her creditors and made payment arrangements and just started whittling the bills down. In 2004, I had the opportunity to move to Arkansas to manage a veterinary specialty hospital, and I moved out here with Mama, Tina, Nico, and our two dogs. You know, I used to think that cancer was the worst disease. In time, I realized that Alzheimer's is worse. With cancer, the mind stays intact, but the body wastes away. Watching someone die of cancer is hard, but to me, watching someone live with Alzheimer's is harder. Anyway, that was a long detour from yard work. The reason I thought about Mama tonight is because she would walk to the end of the driveway and back. Often I'd be out there in the yard whacking away at the tall weeds with my trusty blade. She would stop watching me work and more than once she would comment on what a hard worker I was. Well, that's the way you raised me, Mama. She'd look a little confused and say, what? I raised you? To which I would reply, yes, Mama, I'm your daughter, Cherie. She never seemed to remember who I was. 
I was a nice lady who worked there, or I was a hardworking groundskeeper. I was the one who prepared her meals. The weekend before she went home to be with the Lord, I was her sister Mary, and we were living in Pampa working as waitresses. I learned over time not to correct her. It would just confuse her more. She thought Daddy had abandoned the family, or that he had died working under an overpass. But probably the most heart-wrenching moment was in the kitchen one day when she asked me, Now, tell me again who you are. And I told her I was her daughter, Cherie. Her eyes lit up and she smiled and said, Cherie, so that's who I am. I've been wondering. I'd be lying if I said I didn't tear up. No, Mama, I'm Cherie. You're Millie. Then there was the night walking. I started sleeping on the couch in the living room. I was afraid she would go outside, and I didn't get a lot of sleep the last year or so. She would sleep during the day while I worked, and Nick was home with her. When I was ready to go to bed, she'd start wandering around the house. I wish I could say I was always patient and kind and loving. I wasn't. I was exhausted most of the time. Not to mention, I had a growth in my abdomen that I was ignoring because I assumed it was cancer and didn't feel like I could abandon Mama to get myself taken care of. But that's another story for another day. In hindsight, I wouldn't do it again. But I had made a promise to Daddy two weeks before he went home to be with the Lord that I would take care of Mama and Tina. I told him it was okay for him to go. I still have Tina, and she's currently on medication for Alzheimer's dementia. It's challenging to see her exhibit the same behavior and go through many of the same things I saw Mama go through. I'll keep her with me as long as I'm able, but I know at some point she's going to need more care than I can provide. I did the best I could with Mama, but I never really felt like it was good enough. And that brought my thoughts to Daddy. Cancer's heart. We watched our father change from a healthy, vibrant, hardworking man to a thin, weak shell in a hospital bed. But his mind was intact. That is, until he was put on too much morphine. How I hate that drug. After my thyroid surgery, they gave me an injection of morphine for the pain. And the only description I can give is that it felt like pure evil burning through my veins. I told the nurse to never give that to me again. I would rather have pain than that awful feeling. Maybe some of that's an emotional attachment. Morphine made my father lose his mind. I spent four weeks splitting shifts with my mother at the hospital. We would each stay for 12 hours so Daddy wouldn't be alone. One afternoon, he looked at me with a look of pure disgust and said, Your mother and I are so disappointed in you. It was one of the last things he ever said to me. And even though my rational mind tells me it wasn't my father talking, it was just the morphine, it still stings when I think about it. And that's when realization hit. That was probably the worst possible thing he could have said to me. Growing up, I always had this need for approval. I was a straight-A student, not because I was so smart, but because I wouldn't allow myself to settle for less. Even when I went to school as an adult, I withdrew from an algebra class rather than lose my 4.0 grade point average. Long story, but the professor taught his own method, and if you use the method in the textbook, 
Even if you showed your work, he marked your answer wrong. I just couldn't learn from him, so I withdrew from the class. I realize this need for approval has continued to affect my life. I have a bad habit of working crazy long hours at the jobs I hold. I recently started learning Spanish through the Duolingo app, and I find that I am obsessing over my rank and spending far too many hours to maintain it. I'm so competitive. I was giving blood one day, and a man who actually started after me was filling his bag faster. So I started squeezing that little ball even faster so that I managed to fill my bag first. Okay, now that I've totally embarrassed myself, there is a point to all of this. We're told to cast all of our cares. We're told that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you have any idea how difficult that is for someone like me to do? I am driven to do it myself and to do it better and faster than anyone else. Rest? I've been known to say that sleep is highly overrated. I burn the candle at both ends all the time and then I wonder why I get totally burned out. And why? So that I can gain approval. But here's the thing. He already paid for my approval. I don't have to earn it. I just have to accept the gift. But it's hard, right? And we're told that Jesus experienced everything known to man. That there's nothing we can go through that he didn't go through. And I thought, really? When did he suffer from people being disappointed in him? Well, as early as 12 years old, Remember when Jesus and his family went to Jerusalem for the feast? And when it was time to go home, Mary and Joseph thought he was with some of their relatives. At the end of their first day of travel, they realized Jesus wasn't with the group. So Mary and Joseph went back to Jerusalem, but it took them three days before they found him sitting in the temple. I can hear Joseph now in the words of my own father. Your mother and I are so disappointed in you. And what about when his friend Lazarus died and he showed up three days later? I can hear my father in Martha's words. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. She must have been so disappointed. And what about the entire nation of Israel who is waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue them in power and glory and overthrow the rulers of their time and set up his kingdom with them reigning at his side with him? How disappointing it must have been for them to see the king of the Jews die on a cross like a common thief. Have you ever felt like you're carrying a burden that's too heavy to bear? He did too. I remember when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally sweating blood and asking his father to take his awful assignment away from him. Three times he asked, but he submitted his will. I remember when he was forced to carry his heavy cross after being tortured and flogged, and he fell in the street under the weight. I remember when he hung on the cross with my sin on him, paying the price that I should have paid, and my sin on him caused his father to turn away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Submission and rest. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. It was a good day of yard work. But now comes the even more difficult work, rest. 
If you stayed with me till the end of this episode, thank you. I didn't tell you my story for sympathy. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. The truth is, I'm extremely, abundantly blessed. I told you my story because I'm looking to make connections. And if you've experienced Alzheimer's, dementia, or cancer firsthand, I just want you to know that I see you. I've been where you are. I know how hard it is. If you suffer from the need to earn approval, will you join me in stopping that cycle? Will you submit to just being who you are, just the way you are? You don't need anyone's approval, but God's. And you've already got His. If this episode has spoken to you in some way, in any way, would you reach out to me and let me know? I really do want to connect with you in a meaningful way. And most importantly, there's this guy I want you to meet. His name is Jesus. He's the love of my life. He provides for me. He protects me. He's the most amazing person you could ever hope to meet. And if you don't know him, I'd love to introduce you to him. Until next time, just be you. You were already made perfect, so stop trying to improve on it. I love you.